As I've already said, if you're a guest, we are always uh, excited that you're here, especially on a, feels like uh, Europe, uh, rainy and windy uh, and uh, not like the sunshine state. Can you imagine we're just a few days away from the election and uh, it can be a little overwhelming. And as we end this series, we talked about don't vote until you hear what we've talked about the last three weeks. And as I got ready to, to, to finish up, I thought, you know, it, 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 whoever is elected, um, there's a bigger impact on our world than who we elect as president or in some of our campuses in countries where they have prime ministers. Because if you go back and you look at the history, especially of this country, it doesn't matter whether it's the founding of a nation or whether it's the freedom of slavery or whether it's the build, building and beginning of hospitals and schools. This is what I wrote in my journal, that it was and is the lives of everyday people uh, living every day with purpose and a sense of destiny. Let me say that again. It was and is the lives of everyday people living every day with purpose and a sense of destiny. In other words, the future of our nation, whether it be for your kids or your grandkids or you, really is more dependent upon how you and I live our lives than it is on who is elected to the office of presidency. And it's always been that way. It's the people and the way in which we choose to live our lives, what we value, what we say is important. And so when you think about being a Christ follower, you ask the question is, well, what does God require of us? I mean, there are a lot of politicians and pundits telling you and me what we should do who we should vote for, you know, how we should respond, all the things that we ought to do. But what does God say we ought to do? I mean, how, how are we supposed to live every day? You know, a, a day like today where it's windy and it's rainy and it's nasty, it just kind of has that, it's a great day for a nap uh, or to be depressed, whichever you would choose. You, I mean, how are we supposed to live that day? How are we supposed to live vacation days? How about work days? How about days when you're sick, days when you're tired? All those kind of things. And the scripture actually speaks to it. If you want to pull out that outline that you got when you came in, I want us to read Romans chapter 12. And we're going to read just a couple of verses there. Here's what it says. It says, so here's what I want you to do. So Paul says, this is the way we are to live our lives. He says, of course, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping. You're eating. You're going to work. You're walking around life. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to place it before God as an offering. In other words, he says, I want you to live every day with a God awareness. Not just on the weekend. Not just when you're in the service. Not just when you're in need. But just a God awareness. Embracing what God does for you is the best you can do for him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking about it. Instead, fix your attention upon God. You'll be changed from the inside out readily recognize what he wants from you so there is something God wants from us and then we're to quickly respond to it once we discover it it says unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity God brings out the best in you develops a well-informed maturity in you I, I wrote this the best you is what's best for your family our country and the world the best you, when you and I reach our potential. 
when we become that for which God created us, that's really what's going to have the best and biggest impact on our kids, on who we marry, on our grandkids, the place in which we work. So there really is, I guess, motivation for us to be who God has created us to be. So what is it then? Well, you can uh, look in your outline, or if you got your Bible, you can turn with me to the prophet Micah. And Micah gives us a real simple, where we're going to spend the next uh, few moments. This is what God requires. Now, if you read verses 1 through 5, God uh, speaks to the, to the Israelites, and he challenges them. Then verses 6 or 7, here's how they respond. And if you're a Christ follower, have you ever responded this way? They basically say, is it, is it possible to even please God? I mean, right, all the different versions of the Bible, all the different religions, all the different things that I've heard. I mean, what is God really? I mean, can you even please him or is it worth trying? I mean, you know, you're better than most, right? You just do the best that you can and hopefully in the end it'll all work. I mean, can you really please God? Because that's what they say in Micah chapter 6. Look with me in verses 6 and 7. They say, what can we bring to the Lord? In other words, how in the world can we please God? Should, and then they overstate it. Should we bring in burnt offerings? Should we bow before the Most High with offerings of thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? And then they even get, should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? And then God answers them. And in answering them, he tells us what God requires of you and he requires of me. He says, no, that's not what God requires. God doesn't require from any of us anything that we can't give. That's important to know because there are others who do. You ever worked at a place where you felt like what they asked of you was impossible for you to do? You ever feel like when you get your tax bill that it's impossible for you to pay it? You know, there are those who require from us things that just seem impossible. But God says, no. Oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good and that what he requires of you. And let's read this out loud together. You ready? To do, okay, we're going to read out together. So that means you, me, person next to you, all of us at the same time are going to read out loud. Okay? We're going to use our outside voices. Are you ready? I'm still not convinced. I, I got to tell you, as a pastor, days like this are just pitiful. All right? I mean, you can't help it. You got people just come in. If they come, they come very heavy. All right. So let, let's let, let, let's let's read this out loud together. To do what is right, to love. That's awesome. That'll be the best all day. Uh, thank you so much for that. Three things he tells us, right? And you know what I thought? As I thought, it's well. You know when I was young lad when I was in elementary school my favorite game to play was this H7 hit B6 miss H8 hit C5 battleship a great game of strategy action and suspense miss H6 the game you can play anywhere. Battleship from Milton Bradley. How many of you played Battleship? Anybody? <laughs> How many of you have no idea what Battleship is? All right. 
they still make it because I have a, a copy of the game right here. And I thought, because really what God is challenging us is to play spiritual battleship. All right? So I've got um, the two, uh, I don't know what you call them, the two things here. And I thought that I might play with somebody who knows how to play. Somebody, uh, you know how to play? All right, let me, let me grab you uh, a microphone as well. All right. So let me give you this, and I'll let you set up your ships wherever you want to sh- uh, set them up. All right. And I've got my ships set up here. And in just a moment, we're going to play. Now, he's not going to look. That would be cheating. But if you don't know what battleship is, you put your ships. Okay, where's the camera? You put your ships in here. Your opponent doesn't know where they're at. And then they guess. Is he cheating? I dropped the whole thing. <laughs> is, is there's numbers and letters and numbers, and you call out like F5. And it's either hits or... Uh, he dropped the whole game, didn't yeah. he? <laughs> he opened it upside down. There he <laughs> Hits or misses, okay? And as, as soon as he gets all his red pegs and white pegs, we'll play, all right? So you have hits or misses. And what you're trying to do in the game called Battleship is to look for your opponent's weakness. Because once you get one hit, you know that that ship or submarine, whatever it is you're trying to sink, can only go, you know, certain directions. In other words, you found the weakness. And one at a time, you sink their ships. Well, the enemy does the same thing. He's looking for weaknesses in our lives. And once he finds that weakness, then he's going to sink us. Now, I I put it in your outline uh, like this, all right, is that in spiritual battleship, the enemy's desire is not to sink your ship, but to sink your heart, to harden your heart, you might say. The enemy realizes that it's in your heart that your passion resides. Those things you get excited about, those things you dream about, your dreams are where? They're in your heart. Your passion is where? It's, it's in your heart. Your joy is where? It's in your heart. Your happiness is where? It's all right here. It's in your heart. So if the enemy can sink my heart, he can take from me my joy. He can take from me my passion. He can rob from me the happiness of my life. And we've all seen people like that. They, they, they just don't seem to have any sense of destiny. They're not excited about the future. They're discouraged. They're depressed. They're defeated. Because somewhere along the line, the enemy found their weakness, and he sank their heart. You got your ship set up? Yeah, I'm set. All right. You ready? Let me uh, see. I got to tell you, at our Saturday service, well, I'm not going to tell you that because then I won't be able to do it again. All right. (laughs) Let me try E5. Miss. Hmm. All right, call one out. B7. B7. Oh, hit. He cheated. (laughs) We'll come back to that in just a moment, all right? Yeah, he acted like he dropped them. That's what happened. All right, write this down, all right? Here's how the enemy plays. The first thing, remember what he said? He said to do what's right. Now, here's what's interesting. Those three things are found in the New Testament. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those three are found in that. 
In 1 John chapter 2, the antithesis is. Because he says, what will destroy you? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So there's a, very, there's a consistency in the scripture over these, over these three. And the first thing he says is that we need to do what's right. I mean, that's pretty simple. Not necessarily easy, but it's simple. Do what's right. I mean, there's, you don't have to dig through all the scripture to figure out what that is. And this is actually a battle for your conscience. It's a battle for your conscience. Some translations, uh, they say do justice or act in justice. Or they say perform justice. What does it mean to do what's right? Well, let's take this for example. Let's say you go into the store and you buy something. It costs $7. And you give the cashier a $10 bill. And they give you back $13. Now, what did they do? They thought you gave them a 20, didn't they? Weren't paying attention, you know, maybe didn't enjoy their job, whatever it was. And you, you don't realize it. You get back into your car and you get ready to put your money back into your wallet and you realize it. I should have $3. I've got $13. What do you do in that moment? Right? Because that, that is the enemy's attempt to discover your weakness. See, how do we tend to, to do that kind of ethics? We tend to think, well, it's only $10. And that company's got all kinds of money. $10 is not going to make them. It's not going to break them. It's not going to make me. I mean, every dollar counts, but it's not going to radically change my life. And you know what? Next Christmas when I'm in the store, I'll, I'll give it back to them. Right? There, and because, it's, see, it's not about whether $10 is a whole lot of money. Here's what it's about. Whether or not the enemy is going to find that weakness in your life. Because if you hang on to it, the enemy is like, hit I found an area in this person's life, in this battle of the conscience, where I can continue to attack them. And the enemy, in all different ways, will give you opportunities where you have to choose what is right and, you know, what's not really a big deal. It's a battle of the conscience. It's, it's kind of like, you know, when somebody sends you an email or a text or, or they call you and, and, and you don't respond. And then they see you. And they're like, hey, what, I, I, I sent you an email. Did you get it? And in that moment, you have to do what? You have to decide whether or not you're going to lie. Right? Because you can just tell a little white lie. I mean, no, I didn't get it. Even though you just didn't open it. You got it, but you didn't open it. Or, or, or you could say, you know what? My phone. I'm having problems with my phone. Isn't it amazing in this world how many people have problems with their phone? I'm amazed that anybody can ever talk to anybody with all the people that have problems with their phones. When you ask them about a text or an email or whatever, you say, well, Troy, is it really a big deal? I mean, okay, my, I just didn't, you know, respond. I should have, whatever. But I, so I said my phone wasn't working or I said I didn't get it. Is it, is it see, it's, it's not about, it's probably not in the big scheme of things, right? It, 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 but what it is, is it, allows the enemy to see weakness in my life. That in situations that make me look good or make me look bad, I'm willing to lie. Nobody starts out to be a big liar. It's a gradual process, isn't it? And you probably know folks, they're lying. You're, you're amazed at how easy they lie. You look at them and you're like, my, they, it just, they seem natural. Right? I mean, they seem like they're telling the truth and yet they're not. 
How, it's because the enemy finds that weakness and continues to attack in that area to provide opportunities for you and I to lie. His ultimate goal being what? To sink my heart. To get me in such a place that I no longer know what's true and what's not true. Where I have a difficult time discerning what reality is. And as a, as a result, I lose my joy. I'm just trying to survive. I'm just trying to remember everything that I've told everybody. And so before long, I've lied to my spouse. And, and I've kind of told some mistruths to my kids about how awesome I was when I was their age. And, and I've told some of the folks who have called about the money that I owe them for my power or my computer or whatever it is. And I've, you know, I've lied to them a little bit. And you got all of this stuff. And then you wonder, man, why am I so discouraged? Because now you've got the weight of all of these things that you have said that are not true. And it all started with just one hit. So when you find yourself with too much change or someone asks you a question and you know that if you respond truthfully that they may look at you differently, it may cause you some issues, remember it's bigger than just the ethics of that one decision. It's the enemy playing spiritual battleship with you and he is calling out numbers trying to find these weaknesses uh, in our lives. It's kind of like when an apology is needed. Right? Are you, are, are you going to give it? When, when you, you, you just, or are you going to say, I'm just tired. I got a headache. I've had a bad day. Right? Or are you going to apologize? Or does your pride, does my pride get in the way and I rationalize? Will, will I apologize or... Will I, will I rationalize? Have you ever noticed that there's this temptation that when you know you need to apologize, sometimes you'll walk back into the room and you'll just kind of talk to the person you need to apologize to. And if they're happy, then you, you feel like you've kind of done it, right? Oh, well, they're not mad, so I might as well, you know, I'm, it's good, right? It's, it's, it's good. And is it a big deal that you needed to apologize and you didn't? I mean, is that one lack of apology going to forever destroy your life? No, it's probably not a big deal in the big scheme of things. But it's a big deal simply because the enemy now has found a weakness. That given the opportunity, you will choose yourself. You will be, your pride will keep you from doing what you know you need to do. And you and I will continue to have situations where the enemy attacks us in this way. I remember several years ago. I uh, had an organization call me and ask me to speak at a conference and I was excited and I said yes and I was looking forward to it and then about three weeks before it was uh, time to go and to speak, another conference called that was going on at the very same time that was a much bigger opportunity. It was a much more influential conference. It, it would uh, pay uh, a lot more it, it, and I, I had a decision to make. What, what am I going to choose? Am I going to choose to, to make an excuse or to, to, to tell a little white lie to those that I had already committed to so that I could take advantage of this bigger opportunity? Or was I going to keep my word? Was I going to trust that in the end God would take care of me because what his word says about the truth is true? Those moments... When you and I are making those decisions, please realize they're bigger than the moment. It's the enemy looking, calling out numbers, trying to find weaknesses in our lives so that he can ultimately sink our hearts. 
can rob us of the very things Jesus died for you to have. He says, I have come that you might have life and you might have it abundantly. So that you can have joy, you can have peace. So that you can prosper, so you can love. All those things Jesus came to give us and the enemy's goal is to sink our heart so that we don't actually experience them uh, in our lives. Here's the second one that he gives us. But before he does, let's see if I can find a ship. Let me uh, call out, let me put on my glasses so I can call out J-10. Miss. Mm, I'm sure you cheated now. All right. C-7. C-7. Miss. <laughs> I'm not very much fun to play games with unless I'm winning. Um, All right, here's the second one. Love, mercy, or kindness. And this is a battle for forgiveness. To love, mercy, or kindness. And this is a battle for forgiveness. Now, the word, when it says love, mercy, it doesn't mean, it's not the word uh, 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 to to like it. In other words, we're not, the scripture is not telling us that God wants us to to like mercy. Because there are times when you ought to be kind, but you don't really want to be kind because what they did to you was wrong. I mean, they, they hurt you. They said something. They did something. There's no doubt about it. It was wrong. It wasn't right. It caused you pain. And you desire revenge, but God calls for mercy or kindness. Well, it doesn't mean you got to like it. The word literally means desire. In other words, we desire. We want to be kind. We want to show mercy. And, and this is a battle for forgiveness. Are you and I going to have forgiving hearts? Again, it's not really complicated, is it? I mean, we're everyday opportunities to see whether or not it's a hit or a miss in your life. But let's just say, how about if you get cut off in traffic? I mean, that probably doesn't happen here in South Florida, but let's say you live somewhere else, right? You get, you get cut off in traffic. How, how, how do you respond in that moment? Do you respond with kindness? You say, no, Troy, they don't deserve it. They cut me off. Exactly. That's what mercy is. Or do you respond in revenge? And i got to tell you, this is my, this is my weakness. I, 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 I hate, I hate when people cut any line. All right? I hate it when you're lined up at an exit to exit and the person zooms by you in their car and at the very last minute they force their way in and you're like 10 cars back watching it all happen. I hate it. Because like they zoom by saying, you're stupid, I'm more important than you. That's what goes on in my mind. All right? And... I don't want to be kind. Or you know where else I hate it when they cut? Is at the airport. I hate it when you're in line at the airport to go through security and there's this giant long line. And then the person who decided they weren't going to be prepared and that they weren't going to get there on time rushes in and says, hey, can I get in front of you? My plane's about to leave. I want to if you got here on time, your plane wouldn't be about to leave. I've been standing here for an hour, got my shoes off. I... Or if you get cut off, I'll tell you something else. This is kind of therapy for me, all right? <laughs> is when I get cut off by people on bicycles. You know, when they're riding their bikes and they're on my road, but they're not obeying my traffic laws. 
doesn't seem fair. They get to drive on the road, but they don't have to stop at red lights, and they don't have to do... I, now, listen, if you're a bicyclist, I, I, I don't mean to offend you, but you offend me, all right? <laughs> I, 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 I want revenge in those, in those moments, right? And, and, and what I have to realize, what you have to realize, is that you, you know, somebody cuts you off, and you speed up, and you're like, oh, you know, you idiot, and you make all the stuff, you know, in that a big scheme of things, is it a big deal? No, probably not, but it's a big deal because it's the enemy looking for weakness in your life. Are you going to be forgiving? It's in those small things. It's like when you've walked two blocks to get to Starbucks and you go in and all you have is your phone which has your card on it. And as you walk up to the counter, there's a sign that says, we do not accept gift cards here. Oh, I want revenge. Justice is what I want in that moment. Are we going to have a forgiving spirit? Because we probably all know folks that are easily offended, right? You've seen them, and, and you've heard others talk about them. You just can't please. They're always angry. The smallest thing, because they're looking for people to offend them. They believe that everybody is out to offend them. Nobody cares about them. Everybody mistreats them. And what have they had sunk in their life? They're hard. It's sank. I mean, there's no joy. There's no sense of expectation or anticipation as they go into the day. Because somewhere along the line, the enemy realized that they're unwilling to forgive. Stephanie, the other day, was uh, taking the dogs out, you know, so they could do what they do. And, and we have a new neighbor. And so her dog was out there. She has a Cocker Spaniel, which is, a, you know, a pretty good-sized dog. And they're standing there talking. And all of a sudden, Stephanie realizes that she's wearing her flip-flops, that her feet are getting wet. And what had happened is the dog had peed on her. <laughs> oh, you laugh, all right? Now, it's one thing to get peed on by your own dog. But somebody else's dog? It's like, you know, am, what? what? Yeah. Now, Stephanie's, unlike her husband, very kind. And she, you know, don't worry about it. It's no big deal. And, and you know, came upstairs and... I guess took a bath and a shower and threw out the flip-flops, okay? But it's those kind of moments. What do you do in those moments? How do you respond in those moments? Because what happens is once the enemy realizes, you know what, Troy, you got a weakness there. He's going to continue to provide opportunities whether I will forgive, show kindness, whether it's deserved or not. has nothing to do with what I do or how you respond. Kindness doesn't, isn't the result of it being deserved, it's a result of God uh, requiring it. So how, how do I respond in those moments? And my fear is, is that there are so many hard hearts, and none of them started that way. You see, so many times, especially as we get older, and we are unwilling to forgive, and we not only are easily offended, we hang on to them. I can tell you what they did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I remember Aunt Susie at our reunion 45 years ago. She snobbed me. Man, you've carried that for that long? She's probably forgotten it. 
but it has destroyed you. It has sank your life, robbed your heart. That's why God is saying, he says, I want to keep this simple, but I want you to have life, so do what's right. And realize that doing what's right is bigger than the ethics of that moment. That the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10 10 says. And the way that he does it is through spiritual battleship. Looking for weaknesses in our lives. Here's the last one, all right? Is, well, before we do, let me have one more shot. How about C7? Miss. Mm, I never liked this game. <laughs> All right, you've got one hit. Let's see if you can build on that. B6. B6. Oh, miss. <laughs> you are all around my submarine. Mm -mm -mm. Here's the third one. Jot it down. Walk humbly with your God. And this is a battle of self-sufficiency. A battle of self-sufficiency. Well, what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be humble? A lot of times people think humility is like, oh, I can't do that. I'm not any good. I, I don't deserve that. But that's really not what humility is. This is my definition of humility. It's knowing from where your strength, your success, and your hope comes. Humility is not believing that you're of no value because God created you according to the Scripture. And so to devalue yourself is to uh, dishonor God. No, no, humility is just understanding that all that I am that is good. James said it like this, all good things come down from the Father of lights. So it's understanding, really you might say my position. God is the one who gives me all that I have that is of any value at all. So there is this battle where the enemy is looking for weakness and the battle is about self-sufficiency. Who's in control of your life? Because the enemy knows that if I try to take control, he can sink me because I don't have the strength. I don't have the knowledge. I, no matter how much wisdom I might have, no matter how much money I might not have, it can be gone in a moment. I don't have enough to be peace, to have peace. So he's looking. And let me ask you, how do you respond to truth, God's truth? Whether it be the Bible you pick up, whether it be a teaching maybe that you attend or something that you watch on television, how do you respond to truth? Is it when you, you know, pick up God's word and it says something and you're like, oh my goodness, here's, here's what it says. How do you respond to that? When the Bible tells us that we need to forgive, do you explain it away? Well, that can't mean in this situation because what they did was wrong and they don't deserve forgiveness. And if I forgive them, then they're going to think that it's okay. And, 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 and you explain it away and you take control when it comes to sexual intimacy in your relationship and you're reading truth. Do you position yourself under that truth or over that truth? Does that truth control or direct your life or do you control or direct your life? Because understand, those um, revealed truths are opportunities for the enemy to discover weakness. How do you respond? Do you like, man, here's what the scripture says, and I believe that God created me to live life and to live it abundantly. I believe that Jesus died so that I could have life, peace, 
joy, happiness, relationships. Therefore, if he's telling me to do you know, my relationships this way or to deal with my anger this way or to deal with my money this way, I'm going to trust him. Or do, say, well, he doesn't really understand my situation. If he did, he'd have wrote something different. If he did, he would have said something different. And so I'm going to take control. Now, the enemy has an advantage here in the sense that your skin wants to be in control, doesn't it? They tell us that so many people are afraid to fly simply because they're not the pilot. They're not in control, even though it's a much safer mode of transportation. You you see it even in automobiles, right? There are some folks who love to drive but are scared to death if they're the passenger. I at least experience that quite often. Maybe it has something to do with my driving. I'm not sure, but... Right? Isn't there something in you that wants to be in control? Even where you sit in an auditorium like this. Some of us choose where we sit based on control. Because, you know, if you're sitting in the middle right here, you just don't have as much control. There are all these people on the sides that determine how quickly you can get out. Right? But if you're on the end, and especially at the back, or even better in the balcony, I'm not saying you kind folks did this. I'm just saying we like to be in control. We all do. And so the enemy is always giving you and me opportunities to take control. To put God's word on one side, God's truth on one side, and my heart on the other. My desire on the other. And say, Troy, what are you going to choose? Are you going to choose control or trust? Because why do I take control? Because I think I know better how to handle my money. I think I know better how to have a healthy relationship. I think I know better about how to deal with people and forgiveness. I think I know better about what anger will do. Right? I mean, that's why you take control. That's why I take control. It's, it's kind of like we have a dog named Charlie. He's a Samoyed. We keep his hair cut short so he doesn't look like an Alaskan Husky. There's a picture of Charlie. And when we got Charlie at a rescue mission, he was very uncontrollable. I mean, on a leash, off the leash. I mean, he was just, just crazy. Now, he has calmed down uh, a lot. And so I'll take him for walks. But you know what happens along the way? He forgets that I'm his master. And he just tries to take off. He he forgets that I'm the one that feeds him. I'm the one that takes care of him. I'm the one that protects him. I provide a place for him to live. Listen, he's even got air conditioning in his house because he lives in my house. Right? And he takes off. Like he's going to take care of himself. Now, you need to know this. That should he take off, He is responsible then for himself. He has unpositioned or depositioned or whatever. He's unchained himself, you might say, from my ability to care for him. So now he really is, he gets what he wants. He's got to find his food in the dumpster. He's got to find a place to sleep outside of the rain. He's got to find somebody to protect him from the dog catcher. I mean, he really is in control. And know that the same thing is true for you and I. Is that when you fight for control, when you decide that you know better about your relationships, your emotions, your money, all those areas of your life, you know what God does? God lets you go. You say, all right. But you really are then in control. In other words, you have to bet. You better hang on to your money. 
because you're the only, only one that can produce it. You're the only one that can. You better hang on to your relationship. I mean, you see, whereas if Charlie stays on the chain, it's not his responsibility to make sure he's fed every day. It's mine. It's not his responsibility to make sure that today he's outside the rain. It's mine. And you know what? The same thing is true in my relationship with God. As long as I stay positioned underneath his truth, when it comes to my joy, my finances, my marriage, it's not my responsibility. It's his. He's taken it on. He is my master. <clears throat> so, so the enemy's always looking for those opportunities to find our weakness. Now, it's up to you, right? I, my whole desire in this teaching is that when you are given the opportunity to do what's right, that you won't judge that based upon the ethics of that moment, but that you'll realize that just like in battleship, the enemy's looking for weakness, and therefore it matters what you do. That when it comes to the opportunity to be kind, when you've been mistreated, when someone's done, said, whatever it is, that you'll see it bigger than just that moment, bigger than just feeling good about getting some type of revenge. You'll see it as the enemy looking for weakness in your life. And when truth is revealed to you, whether it be you reading the scripture or a teaching or whatever it may be, that your desire would be to position yourself underneath that truth, not unchain yourself. And be in control. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity to, to learn from your word. As we prepare to elect here in the United States a new president. I pray that you'd give us wisdom. I pray that you'd give us insight. I pray that the person that is um, going to provide an environment in which we can live out our faith in the end would be the winner. But more important than any of those things, Father, I pray that we on an everyday basis, as everyday people, would do what is right, we would love kindness, and we would walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.